I feel like that introduction gets shorter every week somehow. I'm going to have to <clears throat> pick a little bit of a longer one next time. Uh, guys, this morning I wanted to start by saying typically, uh, and typically probably isn't actually the right word, but maybe what I should say is that uh, if I'm given a choice, I, I really want to make sure that the sermons that, that you all hear here at this church, preached from this pulpit, generally have a broad in interest. Now, not in the sense that I want to say things that are just going to make people feel good about themselves as they, they leave here, but I do truly desire that the, the messages that you hear here, it sounds like I'm saying hear, hear, uh, but the messages that you do hear here, they have something in them for everyone, right? Whether you're old or young, whether you're male or female, whether you're single or married, a new believer or an old retired pastor. I'm looking at you, Ron. Uh, <clears throat> whether it be encouragement, whether it be conviction, or just about anything, anywhere in between, I do hope and I pray that you always leave these services with something. Now, what's really great and really amazing about just preaching through God's word is that even if I miss the mark, right, if I don't necessarily do my part, which, believe it or not, sometimes I can miss the mark, the Holy Spirit still finds a way to, to speak to people. Uh, it's a really neat thing that you get to experience when you preach as people will come up to you after service and they'll say, Daniel, that, that message was great. It, it spoke exactly into what I was going through or I've been struggling with this, that, or the other thing. And I smile and I nod and I say, thank you so much. Those kind words mean so much to me. But on the inside, I know that that's not what I said. That's not what I intended to say. But the fact is the Holy Spirit still moved as my mouth was moving. So I am very grateful that I get to see that happen. Anyway, today, I pulled out my outline. You know, at the beginning of every sermon series, I'll sit down and I'll create an outline for myself to know, okay, at this date, we're going to be on this piece of scripture and we're going to be discussing this theme or this topic. So this week, when I pulled out my outline and I saw that we were going to be in Acts chapter 16, I got really excited. This is a, another great chapter in the book of Acts. So I'm excited. I'm saying, let's go. I sit down. I start reading my notes and I say, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Everything that I wanted to say to you in Acts chapter 16, I just talked about last week, and I didn't even realize it. I, I just last week, as we talked about the conversion story of Cornelius the Centurion, was the same topic I planned on presenting to you here today. And I would hope that there's at least a few people paying enough attention that if I came out and delivered the same sermon two weeks in a row and just changed the names from Cornelius to Lydia, that someone would be brave enough to call me out on that. So it sent me into a little bit of a tizzy. And again, tizzy probably isn't the right word there, but it sent me into this kind of frenzied state of reading and praying and studying and reading some more and saying, what should I do? Should I skip over this conversion story of Lydia in Acts 16? Had I already addressed and said everything that God would have us say? Right? Should I just jump forward to the conversion of the Philippian jailer, which is, again, a wonderful story and where we'll be next week? But I said I can't. If for some reason when I made this outline, if the Spirit brought me to this piece of Scripture, there had to be something more. Right? Maybe something that I rushed by in my own haste as I created my outline. 
And again, as I read and I prayed and I studied, what I ended up being left with is something that is deeply important and personal to me. Uh, and I do hope that it is deeply important and personal to many of you who are gathered here today or many of you who are traveling and, and watching from home or wherever you may be vacationing today. So I'm kind of asking today at the front end of this message is to give me a little bit of grace. I, I want you to remember that we do serve a God who would be perfectly fine inconveniencing you for one Sunday morning or maybe not having the message delivered that you were expecting one Sunday morning so that someone else in this congregation, maybe the person sitting right next to you, might be served by it. And coincidentally, or probably not so coincidentally, that position of, of being expecting of one thing and then finding yourself being greatly inconvenienced is exactly where we do find Paul as Acts chapter 16 begins. But before we jump into Acts 16, uh, everything kind of came full circle as I was doing reading. It kept bringing me back to one particular scripture in Galatians. So real quick, uh, we're going to put a mark. If, if you've already flipped to Acts 16, like if you're an overperformer and a go-getter and you've already got the scripture open, good job. But put a finger there and start flipping forward in your Bible to the book of Galatians, specifically Galatians chapter 3. Okay? Um, we're we're going to put a pin in both of these pieces of scriptures. As you're flipping, if you hit Ephesians, you did go too far. Go back a couple pages. But Galatians is a letter that is written by Paul. Okay, Paul, formerly called Saul, whose conversion story we looked at just a few weeks ago, uh, the, the persecutor turned apostle. See, he wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, and as he often does when he writes a letter, the purpose is to give instruction to the church. In the third chapter in, in the book of Galatians specifically, again, as he often ends up having to do, he's giving instruction to the church on just kind of how to unravel the mystery of the old law and the old covenant and the Old Testament and how that relates uh, to the grace that is being offered to them now through Jesus Christ. Okay, so I want to read this with you, verses 23 through 29. Again, we're just going to take this in and then we're going to jump back to Acts for a minute. So here's what it says. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And again, we're not going to unpack that all right now, but I want you to keep a finger in that page. Okay, take a mental note of everything that we just heard read. So when we come back to this later, literally, we will all be on the same page. Okay, back in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, we're going to start to see a shift take 
place. Right? As we've already mentioned, we're now going to be following more of the story of the persecutor Saul, this man who ravaged the church, who caused the scattering of the believers all throughout the area. And, and this scattering is what led to many of the conversion stories that we have already talked about. So now that man Saul, he is going by the name Paul. Paul is a missionary, Paul is a disciple, Paul is an apostle, and he is taking the good news of Jesus Christ to places that no one has yet dared. And as Paul is traveling, he has this kind of merry little crew of missionaries that are traveling with him. It's Paul, and it's Silas, and it's Mark, and it's Barnabas. Paul and Mark, though, they have, um, we'll call it a kerfluffle. Or maybe a brouhaha, right? They, they have this little argument. They can't settle their differences, and they part, and they go their separate ways. Each of them taking the gospel with them as they go. And in this, let's call it a divorce, Paul inherits Silas, and Mark gets custody of Barnabas. Okay, so Paul and Silas, they don't stay alone for very long. As chapter 16 begins, we learn that they are very quick to go and pick up a new friend. A new friend named Timothy, who you may have heard of before. Now today we're not actually going to be studying Timothy's conversion, but regardless, what we now have as this chapter begins is this trio of, of Paul and Silas and Timothy. And they're cruising through what we would call today modern-day Turkey. And they're going from city to city, and they're, they're preaching the name of Jesus. Uh, verse 5 tells us that because of their travels and testimony, it says churches were being strengthened in faith. And most importantly, it says that churches were increasing in numbers. Okay, that does not mean that their Sunday morning attendance was just simply going up. What that means is people were responding to the gospel, they were being baptized, and, and they were being saved, right? That is the, the metric that should count when we say this. But then in verse 6, the author of the book of Acts begins to get very specific. He begins to want to name specifically some of these different places uh, that the men are traveling through, through Turkey. So here's what it says in verses 6 through 8. It says, They went through the re region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. I've been showing a lot of maps uh, in this sermon series, but today I smartened up. Today I found a laser pointer so I can actually point to things here instead of expecting you to see what is all the way up here. Again, I've been showing a lot of maps through this sermon series because for me it is very helpful to have a clearer idea of the landscape that we are talking about, especially when it comes to understanding the distances between some of these places. If we don't understand where these places are that we're talking about, how can we understand understand the real hardship that men like Paul and others were, were actually facing as they would go and bring the gospel. When we hear these names like Bithynia and Phrygias and Mysia, right, we're, we're not saying, well, he traveled to Shelby Township and then made his way back to Rochester before stopping in Troy. These are places that are very spread out, over covering great diff distances. Okay, so here in this chapter, again, Paul is in Asia, uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, he's come a very long way already from that roadside in Damascus where he was blinded. But what it says in chapter 16, it says, Paul left Derby. Oh, can we go back to the map? Go. So he left Derby, which is way down here, and he went to Lystra, which is going to be right over here. Now, 
It's in Lystra here that he meets this fellow Timothy. And this is where he decides he's going to bring this young man along as they travel north. And they go to this place called Iconium, which is just north of Lystra, right here. Uh, And Iconium is where we're told that the church is being strengthened. It's where we're told that they are gaining in numbers. The path of these missionaries, it then decides, is going to turn further north. Right? It says that they're going to head into more remote regions of Phrygia, Phrygia, which is way up here. And Galatia, again, right, same place where we just read that scripture is going to uh, be written to in in a little bit of time. And from here we see Paul heading north, and he has his own plan. Okay, it it seems like it should be a good plan. They already started heading north when they were going to Iconium, and, and Paul decides that they're going to head straight north into this territory all the way up here called Bithynia. Now, we're told, though, the Spirit of Jesus Christ will not allow the men to cross into Bithynia, which is kind of bizarre if we think about it. Certainly, there were people in this region who were lost. Certainly, there were people in this region who could have used the gospel, but we're told Jesus says no. Jesus Paul tells Paul to stop. He says no. Right? Paul's not being sent home, though. Paul is not in detention. It's just that, that Jesus has a plan that is better than Paul's. His plan is better than the plan that Paul has laid out. So this is what it says in verses 9 and 10. It says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought out, uh, we sought to go out into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul's vision comes to him and it literally says, it says, right, go west, young man. As they find themselves up by Phrygia and Galatia, he says, head out towards Troas and head towards all the way up here in Macedonia. So Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and if you were paying attention, a new friend, all set sail to Macedonia. So what you should have noticed here is one of the fascinating things about the book of Acts is that for the first 15 chapters of this book, it has been narrated by this kind of uninvolved third party, right? giving an account of the different things that have happened. But all of a sudden here in verse 10, if we look closely, we see that something has changed. Look at verse 10 and look at some of the language it uses. It says, we sought. It says, God called us. Right? It no longer says they saw it. It does not say God called them. The narrator of the book of Acts is no longer some third party. Right? The narrator is now here in the moment with Paul, with Silas, and with Timothy. The narrator, the author of the book of Acts, is now on the boat traveling to Macedonia. So now we have Paul, and we have Silas, and we have Timothy, and Luke. If you prescribe to my uh, belief that Luke is indeed the author of this book, they all set sail from this port city, and they're going to cross the Aegean Sea, and they're going to head all the way over here to Macedonia. Verses 11 and 12, it says, Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. From Damascus, Paul has gone to Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, he's made his way through Turkey. And now Paul finds himself truly a far, far way from home. 
Right? He finds himself in a real, true, spiritual frontier, finding himself in Macedonia. Uh, Macedonia is what we would call today northern Greece. He sailed across the Aegean Sea, and now he finds himself in Philippi. Philippi, another name that should ring a bell, as they also one day would be getting a letter from the Apostle Paul that we have in our New Testaments called Philippians. So our quartet of missionaries find themselves in Philippi and they get settled in. They're getting prepared to go out and share the good news in what we just heard is a a Roman colony, a, a major city. If you know a little bit about Paul, he has a pretty consistent habit. When he arrives in a new town or a new city or a new community, usually the first thing that Paul does... Does anybody know the first place he usually goes? Synagogues, right. Paul normally always goes to the synagogues first. Even though he is God's chosen tool to reach the Gentiles, his first stop is almost always the local synagogue. A place where he knows that he is going to find observant, God-fearing Jews, where he's going to be able to share the good news with them that the long-awaited-for Messiah has come. But Philippi is different. Most historians believe that in Philippi there was no local synagogue that Paul could go to on the Sabbath. Right? There was not this place that he could go to that he knew he was going to have this captive audience that would listen to him as he made his impassioned arguments. So Paul had to actually go out and he had to look for the captive audience. And in verse 13, this is what it says. It says, on Sabbath day... We, again we, went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke with the women who had come together. I know you'll be happy to hear this, but the geography lesson is now over. There will be no more maps today. But it's here that I don't want to lose any of you. Do you still have your finger on Galatians 3? Keep your finger in Acts because we're going to be back there again, but flip back to Galatians 3. And we're going to look just specifically at verses 27 through 29. It says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. When Paul finds himself in Turkey, and Paul is able to see that the the Spirit is moving, he's able to see that people are being saved, and he's able to see that the church is growing, God interrupts his work and sends him hundreds and hundreds of miles away to northern Greece. And he gets to this city called Philippi, And the very first time that he is going to go out and share the gospel in this place that God had sent him, he ends up not going to the leading men of the city in a formal synagogue. What Paul ended up finding was a group of women who had gone down to the river to pray. And we remember, we just read, it's Paul himself who wrote that neither Greek nor Jew, neither free nor slave, neither male or female, that all are heirs according to God's promise. So when Paul found this group of ladies, what did he do? Okay, Paul was a Hebrew, Paul was also a Roman citizen, but but Paul will tell you himself that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Right, Paul knew all of the rules, right? He knew that good Jewish men 
would look at Greek or Gentile people in a certain fashion. He knew that a good Hebrew man would never consider it proper to sit down and talk to a Gentile woman in public. He knows that the religious fanatics, right, the old crew that he used to run with, that they would never dare to sit down with a Greek woman and offer them the the secrets of the Jewish God. He knew all of that, but what Paul did was he sat down and he spoke with these women who had gathered. Verses 14 and 15, it says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. You know I love these Greek words. A seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Uh, Those of you who have been here for some time, if you're new, you you don't know this, and I hate using this word because this word conjures all kinds of, uh, you know, politically charged, motivated feelings, but but I am not what I would describe as some kind of, like, woke pastor, okay? Those of you that know me know this. Uh, I would appreciate if some of you would nod as I say that so you understand this disclaimer I'm putting here on the front end, okay? But I want to tell you something today that I wish somebody would have told me as a teenager, or as a young man. Because you see, one of the distortions, one of the distorted views of God that that kept me always at arm's length away from the church was this distorted view that followers of Jesus Christ were some type of sexists or misogynists, that followers of Jesus were going to be men who would use their faith to repress and to keep down the lady folks so that us men could rule the roost. You see, the world wanted me to believe is that if you go to church and if you follow Jesus as your Lord, that what you are going to do and what you're going to become is quite the opposite of saying what Paul said, that there is neither male nor female. The world wanted me to believe that I had to be some sort of barbaric uh, caveman who believed that as a man I was blessed to be closer to the mystical secrets of the faith and that then I would choose whether I wanted to share those thoughts with the women folk. And you know what? As a young man, that's not how I wanted the world to see me. It's certainly not the way that I wanted people to look at my wife or to look at my daughters. If you want to scare me away from your church rapidly... Try to convince me that, that, that God is pursuing your son more so than he does my little girls. I promise you, you will see a Daniel-shaped hole in your wall like Wiley Coyote as I flee this place. You see, G- Jesus sent Paul, I guess a little bit more geography, but Jesus sent Paul about 300 miles. 300 miles by foot, 300 miles by sea. And the very first person or the very first people, I should say, that he has him bring the gospel to in Macedonia and in Philippi is a group of women. And if there's anyone that hears that, if there's anyone listening online or to the podcast and you hear that, and it offends your sensibilities to hear that, even if you're not showing it on the outside right now that it offends your sensibilities to hear that, I want you to know that I will be praying for you that your heart will soften. You see, when Paul got to the river and he finds a group of Greek women who, like Cornelius, were admirers of God from afar, 
He does not send them home to go fetch their husbands so that there will be someone present who's capable of understanding the deep theological points he's about to make. He doesn't stop and ask them, well, if you're down here hanging out with your friends at the river, who's at home with the kids right now? No, he, he sits down, just as he would have done in the synagogue, just as he would have done if he was surrounded by learned men. He sits down, except now he's open air, outside by the river, surrounded by women, and he delivers the same message that he would to a group of men. And he does this simply because Jesus died for these Greek women. And these Greek women were capable of making the decision to give their lives to Christ just as any man could. And when Lydia got into the water with her household and gave her life to Jesus, I promise you, heaven celebrated every bit as much as it did when Cornelius or Paul himself or the Ethiopian eunuch did the same exact thing. I've said it before because it's a big part of my... Um, my history of, of how I got here today, but I worked in sales uh, for a very long time. Uh, and as a salesman, I was always looking for patterns or habits, observing demographics in my customers. And I started doing this to the point that it became completely subconscious because it would help me anticipate my customers' needs. I mean, let's be honest, I did it because it made it easier for me to close sales. So again, almost immediately when I would meet a new customer, I, I would identify certain things about them that would allow me to communicate with them, again, more effectively. More effectively identify what maybe features of a product that would interest them based on my previous experience with, with other customers who maybe I assigned to the same category. It's common sense if you work in sales, right? Uh, if you're talking to a single guy, he's going to have different reasons for buying a new car than maybe a mom with three kids in tow. If you're talking to an older woman, she may have different features she desires than a younger woman. Even the way people were dressed became a factor to me in how I would address them, right? For example, uh, if a guy came into the dealership and he was wearing a Dallas Cowboys hat, I knew he was not very bright and it was gonna be a very easy sale for me that day. <laughs> But church is not like that. Okay, church can't be like that. What, what we offer here is for everyone. All of us have different stories. What got us here this morning may be different, but everyone's most basic need is exactly the same. Neither Gentile nor Jew, neither free nor slave, neither male nor female. When you come here around God's people, all of those labels that the outside world wants to cast upon you, they should all come melting away. Because what is offered here is intended for everyone, neither old nor young, neither black nor white, neither rich nor poor. It is even for Cowboys fans, believe it or not. The gospel is for everyone. So that day, Paul sat down and he shared the gospel with those ladies. And we know that at least one of the women who he shared the word with responds. It's really neat. If you notice in the last piece of scripture that we just read, he actually tells us this wasn't the hard part for Paul either. Right? The hardest thing that Paul actually had to do was he had to listen to God, put aside his own plans, travel hundreds and hundreds of miles. He had to put aside the existing stigmas of his culture and his heritage. But all he had to do was share the gospel. It says God actually did the heavy lifting. It says God opened Lydia's heart so that she would be ready to pay attention. And I love that. 
right? It means that, that Paul did not have to have a fancy speech or a, pervas- a persuasive argument, I should say. God had already primed Lydia's heart to hear the word. All Paul had to do was his part, nothing more. I also think you should notice in the scripture that we just read that this Lydia lady, she is no fool, right? We should not twist this story into a story of some smart, eloquent man who has tricked some dim maiden with his slick talking into following his cult. No, this is not that. Lydia was bright. It tells us Lydia ran a business, right? If you sold purple cloth in Philippi back in the first century, I'm telling you, you were a rock star. You were a fashion guru, Verse 15 tells us that it was her household that was baptized, just as we read as it was Cornelius' household that was baptized last week. We read here that it was she who invited the disciples to come and stay with her so that they could set down roots for this church they wanted to plant in Philippi. Uh, Pro tip, married ladies, though, if, if you are married, before you just invite four strange men to come live at your home for a little while, you really should check with your husband, okay? When I look at all of this, and this is reading into it a little bit beyond just what is simply there in the scripture, but it does lead me to believe that Lydia probably was not married. Now, I don't know why she was not, but, but maybe she was divorced. Uh, maybe she was widowed. Perhaps she was just single. I don't know. The word does not tell me that. But what I do see here in, in the 16th, 16th chapter of Acts is that she certainly seems to be the one calling the shots in her household. She does not have, again, a husband that she has to go to and ask if these strangers can come live with them. And as we get ready to close today, uh, there's two very important points that I want to make sure I am perfectly clear on because I do not want to be misunderstood today. Uh, again, you that know me well, you know that I am very easily excitable. So sometimes it is wise for me to take a breath and make sure that you do leave here today with the right impression. Uh, I never want anyone leaving here on a Sunday morning with a distorted view of the sermon. So here's the first point. Saying that God desires females to be saved every bit as much as males or by pointing out that Lydia is girl bossing pretty hard for the first century, it does not mean that I am saying that men and women are the same. It means that I'm saying they are equal. And that needs to make sense to you. God created us male and God created us female. It's such an important point that the book of Genesis makes it more than once. Men and women are different. Okay, if this world was filled with 7 billion men, it would be an unimaginable hellscape. Right, ladies? No amens to that at all? I thought I was going to have to tell you to calm down after that line. You see, God in his infinite wisdom, he can call men and women to different roles while still loving them both the same. This is part of the reason why a godly marriage is such a miracle where a man and a woman can become one and can better reflect their creator because when we bring together these two unique individuals, these two unique special creations, and we bring them together not just physically but spiritually, that is when they can most accurately reflect God. See, we are indeed built different, but we can never make the mistake and say that Jesus died for you ladies less so than he did for me. And to the women in in the the congregation today, if if anyone has ever made you feel less than in a church, especially if it was a man standing in a pulpit like I am today, I am deeply sorry for that. The second point that you must remember 
Is that my observation of demographics um, that became so subconscious, it did not automatically stop when I left the auto industry. I still do it today, albeit subconsciously. And I've noticed something about this church. I've noticed that we seem to be a place where, and I'm just going to use this term because it applies to a lot of different things, where, where single women seem to be coming and gathering and finding community. Hear me out on this. As a demographic, we have an abundance of women who are single. And again, that means a lot of different things. That means there's women that were never married. That means there are women here in our congregation who have been divorced. There are women here who have been widowed. right? And there are some that I would call spiritually widowed. As a percentage, these women who for various reasons that they do not have that male spiritual leader in their household, for some reason they keep finding their way to us here at Meadowbrook. And I hope none of you take offense to the fact that I notice this. I notice this because I've heard your stories about husbands who have passed away. I've heard your stories about husbands who do not support your faith and who leave you on your own, to your own devices to try to figure this thing out. I've heard your stories about husbands who have walked away, and I've heard your stories about husbands that just never were. I don't notice these things so that I can pity you. I, I notice these things because what the Scripture says is that you are my sister and that you are my co-heir to the kingdom. I notice because I pray what you do find here is a community of believers and, and you find fellowship and hope that is going to draw you closer to Jesus, regardless of why you find yourself on a Sunday morning in the car by yourself, I just want you to know that you matter when you are here, that we are glad that you are here, that your creator loves you, that God cares for you, that Jesus died for you, and I love you too. I don't know what you all thought of this message. I do worry that perhaps some of you felt left out today. But I hope what you have heard over the last 35 minutes or so, I hope it brought you hope. I hope hearing that there is neither nor nothing that will keep your creator from pursuing you brought you hope. And I know that every single day there are men and women just like Lydia who are having their hearts opened by the Lord and are ready to respond to the gospel, who are ready to get in the water and be baptized and join the kingdom in, in this battle that we are in against the forces of evil. And if you feel that that is you, if you feel that tug and you feel that that window is cracking open this morning, what I have learned is sometimes all it takes is for someone to actually make the offer. Right? That, that's what Paul did at the river that day. If you don't know that Jesus is your Lord, if you are not 100% certain that he is your Savior, you can change that this morning. You can listen to that tug on your heart. You just have to remember that God will crack the door open, but you still must decide if you are going to step through it. And I pray that you will not wait, hoping for tomorrow. As we close our message, I'm going to be right over here. Uh, I've joked about it before. I don't stand up front during our closing song just so you all get to watch me sing because I am not a singer. I know I make some ugly faces while I'm doing it. I, thanks, Anthony. I appreciate that. I stand over there, guys, because that is an opportunity for you. If you need prayer, if you want to respond to that tug on your heart this morning, you are more than welcome to come up. I'd love to pray with you and learn more about what it is that God is burdening you with this morning. Pray with me.